0: Tends to be. Who's here, by the way? Um, there you go. He Ben tends to be the guy that if you are looking for good trivia questions, you hang out with Ben and you get good trivia questions. One of the things that he recently told me was that somewhere over the rainbow was almost cut from the Wizard of Oz. Think about that. According to Walter Frisch, the studio thought it showed or slowed up the film too much. But think about what the song does when you hear, somewhere over the rainbow, what is it doing? It's pulling on your heartstrings, right? It's making you to believe that somewhere over the rainbow, life goes from black and white into color. Friends, when we enter into worship, we are seeking the other side of the rainbow, right? We are seeking to find the very presence of God that our hearts deeply long for. And so I want to propose to you today that the other side of the rainbow, to find it, we are to offer a biblical, faith-filled sacrifice of worship to the king who chooses us. I'll be read for us 2 Samuel 6, and strangely enough, I think this text really begins to show us what God is looking for in worship. Firstly, notice that the ark appears, um, well, it appears that David is doing a noble task. Right? He's bringing the ark into Jerusalem. What is the ark? Anybody know? All right, so it's where the Ten Commandments were. It's, It's a wooden chest. It's overlaid with gold and it has these cherubim on the top. The very top is the mercy seat. And what dwells on the mercy seat? The very presence of God. Right? So it appears that David is doing this amazing act by trying to bring it into Jerusalem. You see, the, the ark had been lost to the Philistines during, the, um, during Saul's reign. And now David is bringing it back to Jerusalem. But to really understand this, you need to understand the context a little bit. David has made Jerusalem the center of political power in Israel. Guess what he's now doing? He's now making it the center of religious power in Jerusalem. So what is he doing? He's centralizing both religious and political power in in Israel, right? Now, this is a fairly common practice in this day. And you need to kind of think about it from ancient world standards. If you were the king, where do you want to put the temple? Right next to your palace. Why? Because firstly... You want to honor the the God who has given you all this power, right? But secondly, you want to inhibit political upheaval, right? Political rebellion. Because now you hold access to the people's deity. So, is David doing the right thing? Probably. But does he have mixed motivations? Possibly, right? Right? So they get a new cart, they load up the ark, and then they celebrate with all their might while they bring it from Ballad to Jerusalem. And as they come to the threshing floor of Nacon, the ark starts to topple off the cart, and Uzzah reaches out to steady it, and God strikes him dead. That's a hard story to hear, isn't it? It leaves us with questions. Questions like, if God is loving, why does he strike down Uzzah? Right? Didn't God care that the people of Israel were worshiping uh, God, right? Was God quick-tempered? And even better yet, the question is, if God was quick-tempered, has he changed over time? The, The best question of all is this, are we safe in the presence of God? Right? You should really ask that when you're reading this text. You should consider, am I actually safe in the presence of God? So my hope today is to make the case that the answer to these questions is to offer a biblical, faith-filled sacrifice of worship to the king who chooses us. So I want to start with biblical worship. In Exodus 24, we're told that the Levites are to insert poles in, in these rings made on the side of the ark so that they can carry the ark on their shoulders, right? Right? Then in Numbers four, we're told that the people are not to touch the ark of the covenant because if they do, they will die. So it says nothing about putting the ark on a cart. Where did they get that idea from? Anybody know? In First excuse me, First uh, Samuel six, we're told that the Philistines after they had stolen the ark. It wreaked havoc on the community, and so they put it on a new cart behind some oxen and sent it back to Jerusalem. What's going on here? David's worshiping God, but not in the way that God asked. He's worshiping God like pagans. Think about that for a minute. What is more, God is not just having a bad day. He's not hangry. He's told them multiple times how this is to be done, and they've paid no attention. Friends, God is not impressed with spirited worship for worship's sake. If you, do we have any Beatles fans in the, in the house? Right. The Beatles in 1966, about halfway through their short tenure together, gave up playing live music. You know Why? in part because they couldn't hear themselves. The fans screamed so loud that they couldn't hear what they were playing. Don't tell me that God is impressed by spirited worship for worship's sake. Let's get a little closer to home. Ever been to Sanford Stadium on a Saturday? Yeah. There's, you will notice some people going from pulling for the Georgia Bulldogs to worshiping the Georgia Bulldogs, right? Friends, Jesus said the worshipers the Father seeks worship in spirit and in truth. Now the question is, what is the truth that Jesus is speaking of? He's speaking of obedience to God's commands. That's what he's talking about. This means that I don't get to define the terms of what it means to be a worshiper of God. Come on, somebody. Right? I've been working on a parody song of Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way it's called salvation my way. The basic idea is, Jesus, I want your salvation. I just want it my way. (laughs) Have you ever thought about the illogical nature of that? If I started having health issues, right, due to poor lifestyle choices, and I went and saw the doctor, the doctor looks at me, and what is he going to say? Chris, you need to stop eating so much fatty foods, and you need to exercise, and you need to do this and do that. What's the point? He can save my life, but he's going to save my life on his terms, not mine, right? God wants to save us, but salvation comes on his terms because he knows what we actually need. Friends, in this place, it can be easy, it can be easy to hold dear things in scripture that we like while we quietly set aside things that mess up our desired way of life right? Or to at least minimize what seems to be of less significance to us. And I suspect that's what's going on with David, right? Uh, What's important to him? What's important is getting the Ark to Jerusalem. The way he goes about it doesn't seem to matter a whole lot. Speaking of this event in 1 Chronicles, David states, it was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that our lord broke out in anger against us for we did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way so i want you to notice that david what david had minimized in his own eyes had life and death implications in the eyes of god let that settle in with you for a minute What David had minimized in his own eyes had life and death implications in the eyes of God. So, the ark was placed in the house of Obed-Edom. Why? Because David's scared. He doesn't want the ark that close to him. But then what does he do? He goes back and he reads his Bible. Like, if we're paying attention to the the text in Chronicles, it indicates that he goes back and he reads. And he finds out that God actually had a way that he wanted this done. And so he decides, hey, we should do it that way. And this is when this difficult story starts to turn around a bit. He gets the Levites to carry it on poles the way they were always supposed to. And in addition to biblical worship, he is also worshiping with faith-filled worship. After he takes six steps, what do they do? They sacrifice a bull, right? And now, this is presumably not the most expedient way to move the ark from uh, Obed-Edom's house into Jerusalem, right? It's messy. It's taking a lot of time. He's wearing a linen ephod. He's dancing before God with all his might. He's acting like God is in his midst. With that in mind, I want to talk about faith-filled worship for a minute. Imagination gets a bad rap. We tend to think of imagination as make-believe, but that's not what imagination is. Imagination is the mind's ability to think in images, right? It's imagination. Now, if what you are imagining does not correspond to reality, then it is indeed make-believe. But if it is reality, what you are imagining is actually leading you closer to what is truth, right? right, right. That's what imagination is. So, think about it like this. Hebrews 11:1 says, "Now faith is the substantiating of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen." I've said it before, but it's worth repeating. Faith is bluebell ice cream in your freezer. Now, I know that some of you thought, Carolyn's out this week, I'm not going to learn as much. But you can write that down, and that's, that's worth it right there. Faith <laughs> is bluebell ice cream in your freezer. Think about it like this. So you're sitting on the couch, watching TV, and suddenly your mind begins to shift. You think about that container of bluebell ice cream in your freezer. And the more you think about it, You're kind of imagining it in your mind. You begin to imagine what it's like to scoop out some of that ice cream, put it in a bowl, and what are you doing? You're substantiating something in your mind, which is then creating a conviction in your gut, which gets you (laughs) off the couch (laughs) and into your kitchen, and suddenly you are taking on about 400 calories that you weren't planning on. (laughs) Faith is that work, right? So. Part of faith-filled worship is imagining what is actually true. I believe that he inhabits the the praises of his people, right? I believe that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So when I imagine these beliefs in my mind, it moves me closer to what is actually true. And then I begin to act like it, right? So friends, um, this is when we get up on our feet. We start clapping our hands, or or maybe we bow our head, or maybe we get down on our knees. Maybe we shout hallelujah. Why? Because when the king comes in the room, a passionate response is the only logical response. Right? Friends, when Taylor is laid out on the floor, when Tevin is jumping up and down with great excitement, when Julian has his hands out towards heaven, when Matthew Henning is running a lap, guess what they're doing? They're responding with the logic of faith-filled worship. I'm not trying to manipulate a response here. I'm simply saying that, like David, our behavior in worship should be consistent with the belief that Jesus is in the room. Why? Because Jesus is in the room. Right? Yeah. But notice I said we are to offer God a sacrifice of worship. What is, what's the sacrifice? Firstly, if we're going to be biblical worshipers, it means we actually spend time in the Bible, right? Which for most of us means a sacrifice of sleep. Secondly, faithful worship ensures that there will, of course, be people who don't get it, who, wait for it, they judge you. <laughs> Friends, David was no exception, right? Scripture says that Michael, one of his wives, despised him in her, in her heart. Then when he comes into the house, he says, uh, or she says, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servant a- as any vulgar fellow would. She, what is she thinking about? She's thinking about what other people think about him. She's not thinking about the presence of God. She's like, David, you're not acting like a king. But then David makes it very clear he's absolutely acting like a king. A king who's in the presence of a much greater king. Right? And so he says, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from your household. And he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate before the Lord and I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Friends, McCall's father, Saul, feared men over God. David is trying to make an absolute move in the opposite direction, right? To fear God over men. David is making an intentional decision to to be humiliated in his own eyes. Why? Because the king is in the room, right? What is more, he's teaching those around him to honor the presence of the real king. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. What is the worship of your life teaching those around you? What is the worship of your life teaching those around you? Is it teaching people that worship means that you need to look like you just bit into a lemon? (laughs) You ever thought about that? Amazing grace. Like, is that what it's teaching folks? Or... Is it teaching people to believe that the king just entered the room? Right. right? Also, are you posturing your voice or your heart to listen for God's voice? Are you listening for what God may want to say to you during worship? Friends, when Karen Daltry starts singing a prophetic song, uh, it's a sacrifice of worship. I'm pretty confident she would be more comfortable just sitting down. Am, am I right? <laughs> sitting down and being quiet. But you know what her worship tells me? It tells me that the king is in the room. That I better listen up cuz he's he's wanting to speak. And he might want to speak to me or even more he might want to speak through me. I need to give him my attention. So a sacrifice of faith-filled worship will push me beyond my comfort zone. But God, by God pushing me beyond my comfort zone, guess what he's actually doing? He's using me to open up doors in worship for other people. Y'all, I asked for permission to talk about this. When I first got here, Araya was one of the most quiet and reserved people I'd ever met. A few weeks ago, I was leading worship, and I looked down, probably on the second row down there. She's just jumping up and down, raising up her hands and worshiping. And my immediate thought was, Tevin Williams and the Praise Pit opened that door for her. Right? They're all in this, opened up a door for her to step further into the worship reality. Right? And she told me that it is definitely pushing past her comfort zone, but she does not want to be passive. Right, She says that when she leans in, she feels God's presence and she hears His voice. By faith, she experiences God in an intimate way. So friends, do you see that part of the sacrifice of worship is your presence? Friends, we are called to be a body of believers. Which means that I don't simply show up for my own sake. No, I show up for the sake of others right? Sure, it would be nice to just stay home and watch the service online, but that largely misses the call to encourage and strengthen fellow believers. When you come and you lean in to worship, even when the weather's bad, even when you're feeling bad, what are you doing? You are serving and blessing the people around you, whether you know it or not, right? You're opening spiritual doors for them, So our invitation is to offer biblical, faith-filled sacrifice of worship to the king who chooses us. I want to get back to the story of Uzzah for a minute. The truth is, we don't know much about Uzzah at all. What we do know is he is in a long line of people who died in some connection to David's sin, right? He reached out and touched the ark to steady it, and God killed him. But the reason that the ark was about to fall off was because David and the religious leaders weren't paying attention to what God had asked, right? David, uh, David's son died. Why? Because he had had an affair with Bathsheba, right? Uh, several Israelites are, died because David rebelled against God and took a census of the whole Israelite army. Friends, the wages of sin really is death, right? Right? So like David, we should all cry out, can the ark ever come to me? Can, am I safe in the presence of God? Can I come into the presence of God without my life being in danger? <coughs> What's the answer to that question? The answer to the question of can I come into the presence of Christ without my life being in danger is no and yes. Yes. Friends, you cannot draw near to God without your lives being in danger. Biblical worship, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, means that everything in you and in me that is not fit for the kingdom must die so that I can enter into God's resurrected life. Right? As I was writing this message, I began to think about two types of people that probably have some dying to do. Both the passionate person who doesn't really know Scripture and the scriptural person who sees very little need for expressive passion both have to die to self. Friends, you may be thinking, Christopher, I I don't really know the Scripture, but I'm basically a good person. I don't think there's that much in my life that needs to change. That's the whole point. (laughs) If you don't know Scripture, you simply don't know how much in your life needs to change. Right. The reality is is that we live in a day and time when truth is deemed to be whatever I feel to be true. Like the country song says, how can this be wrong when it feels so right? Think for a minute. Go back a decade ago in your life, or two decades ago. Can you really honestly say that everything you felt to be right was right? that everything you felt to be true was actually true. So it might be best to assume that there are aspects of your life that are indeed wrong, even though they feel right. So I want to challenge you, start reading Scripture Join a life group and they'll give you a scripture reading plan or, or just read four chapters a day of scripture and underline things that grab your attention. And by this time next year, you will have read the whole thing. And here's the point, guys. An amazing thing will happen when you set aside time to read scripture and to pray. What will happen is the Spirit of God will come down. He will begin to work in your heart. He will begin to convict your heart of sin. And suddenly you will find yourself changing, but not by self-effort, by grace. That's how it works. You'll find a new desire in yourself, a desire to please God. You'll find yourself wanting to do the right thing not because it's expedient, but simply because it pleases the heart of the Father. But then there's the person who knows the scripture but feels very little need for passionate worship in their life. You may be saying, "Christopher, I read the Bible all, you know, every day and and I live a life that pleases God behind the scenes. Firstly, I want to say to you that I am much more impressed by that life than the life that jumps up and down on a Sunday but denies the lordship of Jesus on the other six days of the week. So I want to, Excuse me. I want you to hear this as me coming to you as a loving pastor who greatly respects you but also wants to push you to think about the next step that the Lord might have for you. Friends, ours is an embodied faith, right? Jesus didn't get up on the cross spiritually. He got up on the cross physically, right? When the 24 elders in heaven worship the Lord, Revelation says they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. Friends, worshiping God while being physically unengaged will not fly in heaven. Or the new earth. What is more, it will rob you of heaven now. Right? When I, by grace, when I start to step in and passionately worship King Jesus, by his work of the Holy Spirit, he begins to open me up to experience heaven now. Because what's the centerpiece of heaven is King Jesus. Right? Amen. But let me say this whether you are a passionate person who needs to learn scripture, or a scriptural person who needs to grow in expressive passion, I invite you to take this step from the place of being a people that the king himself has chosen to love. Like David, let your response of worship overflow from an awareness that the God of the universe has looked at you and said, I love that one. I really love this one. Friends, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but Brennan Manning tells a story Of a Catholic man who had like seven kids. And one day his friend came over for lunch and and the kids weren't around. And his friend looked at uh, the Catholic man. He said, Jim, you've got seven kids. Level with me. Is there one that you like the most? Is there one that you really love the most? And Jim said, well, of course there's one that I love the most. It's Mary. Mary's in college. And I'm just so concerned about her because she's just dealing with all kinds of stress. But then the one that I I really love the most is Sam. Sam's in 12th grade, and I just, I pray for him all the time because I see him getting mixed up with the wrong crowd. But the one that I really love the most is Alice. Alice is in 8th grade, and she just got braces, and she feels so awkward, so I just, I try to affirm her every chance I get. And one by one, the man went through each of his children talking about how he loved That child the most, because he knew what their needs were. He was concerned about their lives, their hearts. Friends, let me say this. You obeying God is not what makes him love you. You obeying him is the right response to a love that he's already freely offering you. Right? He knows what has hurt you. He knows the pain of your past. He knows the broken places in your life and how they've factored into you being where you are today. So you don't need to change to somehow earn God's love. But if you open your heart to His love and receive it, it will change you. So also you don't need to put your hands in the air to get God to love you. He knows your past experiences that you've had that's led you to this kind of introverted, reserved nature. But he invites you to more expressive worship because he wants to open you up to his presence, right? He wants you to feel yourself as being in his presence. Like like Ivy May. I love Ivy May. She's my favorite goddaughter ever. Um, But she'll run up to Tevin and she'll do this. And that is code for, Daddy, pick me up. The Father wants you to run to Him like this. So that you can say, Daddy, pick me up. I want to be with you. Right? As I said earlier, is it safe to enter the presence of God? And the answer is no and yes. We've looked at no. Now let's look at the yes. We can enter the presence of God... Because unlike David, the real priest king, King Jesus, has made it possible to enter his manifest presence because his body was broken and his blood was poured out for us. Unlike other people dying for David's sin, King Jesus dies for our sins, right? So we're about to have communion. And friends, in the Methodist tradition, we believe that Jesus is really present in communion. So this is both a great blessing and, frankly, a serious privilege. It's only for those who have given their allegiance to Jesus as King. With that in mind, we're going to enter into a time of silent prayer. And I encourage you, if you've never given your life to Jesus as Lord, if you've never surrendered your life, I want you to find Taylor and just let her pray with you. If, on the other hand, you have given your allegiance to Jesus. Yeah, our children are coming back in the room. If you have given your allegiance to Jesus as Lord, we're going to enter into a time of silent prayer. And I just ask you, I invite you to anything that needs to be dealt with before the Lord. As the old Baptist preachers used to say, If you need to do business with God, do it. Get your heart right so that you can come to the table in a place and receive the fullness of the blessing of God through it. So with that in mind, Zach, if you would just cut down the lights. We're just going to enter into a time of silent prayer. So Lord, we just ask you to hear our prayer. I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks to the Father. And then he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body. Take and eat of it and as often as you do so, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup When the supper was over. And he gave thanks to God. And then he said to his disciples. Drink all of this. Or drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. Poured out for you and for many. For the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. And so Father. In remembrance of your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us. And we proclaim the mystery of faith. Proclaim this with me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here And Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit over these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the very body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by your blood. By the Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in his final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit in his holy church. All honor and glory is yours, Father Almighty, now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.